Good morning. Uh, let's start with a prayer. Lord, we come before you on this holy Saturday asking that you would reveal your word to us as we read your scriptures and that it is preached. God, give us understanding that by understanding we may rightly live and glorify you with our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. This morning we're going to go, we're going to go over Psalm 88. Psalm 88, so please turn to Psalm 88, and we'll read that together. Psalm 88, a song, a psalm of the sons of Korah to the choir master according to Mahalath Lianath a maskil of Heman the Ezraite. O Lord, God of my salvation, I cry out day and night before you. Let my prayer come before you. Incline your ear to my cry, for my soul is full of trouble, and my life draws near to Sheol. I am counted among those who go down to the pit. I am a man who has no strength, like one set loose among the dead, like the slain that lie in the grave, like those whom you remember no more, for they are cut off from your hand. You have put me in the depths of the pit, in the regions dark and deep. Your wrath lies heavy upon me, and you overwhelm me with all your waves, Selah. You have caused my companions to shun me, and you have made me a horror to them. I am shut in so that I cannot escape. My eye grows dim through sorrow. Every day I call upon you, O Lord. I spread out my hands to you. Do you work wonders for the dead? Do the departed rise up to praise you? Selah. It is your steadfast, is, it, is your steadfast love declared in the grave? Or your faithfulness in Abaddon? Are your wonders known in the darkness? Or your righteousness in the land of forgetfulness? But I, O oh Lord, cry to you. In the morning my prayer comes before you. O oh Lord, why do you cast my soul away? Why do you hide your face from me? Afflicted and close to death from my youth up, I suffer your terrors. I am helpless. Your wrath has swept over me. Your dreadful assaults destroy me. They surround me like a flood all day long. They close in on me together. You have caused my beloved and my friend to shun me. My companions have become darkness. Amen. So people have said that this psalm or of this psalm, there is no sadder psalm, or there's no sadder prayer in the Psalter. It's an individual lament psalm. That means it's about, it's one person praying about one person. And this one person knows nothing but sorrow. But even in such distress, it is to the Lord in which he turns to for deliverance. This is a psalm of faith. 
Even though he suffered for a long time, in verse 15, from his youth, he was shunned and ostracized by his family and friends and the closest people around him, verses 8 and 18. He looks to the Lord for deliverance. And the level of emotional suffering and pain that we see here is on par with what is expressed in Psalm 22. In the tradition of the church, it's this psalm and Psalm 22 that are linked together and read during Good Friday and Holy Saturday services. This is a psalm where there is no cheap resolution. It's not a TV show that you get resolved after an episode, and if at most you have a to-be-continued and it's two episodes, this is pain and suffering that stays. In verses 1 and 2, the psalmist calls for help. It's a prayer for help. But even in this deep anguish, this man of faith calls on the Lord. The word for cry is a loud shout. And while you can shout for joy to this Hebrew word, you can shout for joy, we can see here in this context, it is a piercing shout of anguish and a plea for deliverance. This is a desperate cry for the Lord to hear him. In verses 3 to 5, we see the experience of dying in life. The word for full that we see would, you, would be used in places like, I am full and satisfied, satiated by hunger, satiated, I'm full with milk and honey. But here, the word full is used for troubles. I am full of troubles. So much so that his life is waning and ebbing away. Shoal is the grave, and it is the state of death. And all the, in the Hebrew Bible shows all the negative things that death is associated with. He is like someone that's killed by the masses and buried in a mass grave. The kind of dishonorable death that is pathetic and unacknowledged. This was not just seen as unacknowledged by people, but more importantly, unacknowledged by God. The Jewish people in Old Testament times were shown a direct correlation between God's favor and punishment, supernaturally and naturally. And so here we see that he is dying a pathetic and unacknowledged death. Verses 6 to the beginning verse of 9 It's not just bad luck that he's lamenting. These adversities just didn't happen. He was placed in the pits. God's wrath was heavy upon him. And the waves that are crashing over him are killing him. I always like to make a note here in the Psalms. Whenever there are waves, it's about death. I find it intriguing the very least that we had songs that we would sing in worship about God's waves crashing over us like it was a good thing 
There's no place in the psalm when God's waves crash over you that it's a good thing. That means you're going to die, and it's going to be painful, and it's something that you should dread. And I'm glad we don't sing that song anymore because that song is terrible. The theology behind it is just lacking. But the waves that are crashing over him are not waves bubbly goodness. They're darkness. And he is utterly left alone and left in darkness, so much so that his eyes become dim. And you have to know how sorrowful you have to be if you start losing your sight. In verse 8, even his companions now shun him. Companions' root word in the Hebrew is yada. And yada means to know. I mean, if you took Hebrew, you should know, right? Yada means to know. These are people that intimately know you, that have been close with you, that walk with you, that loved you, and you loved them back. And now these people turn around and shun you, deny you, curse you. I don't know that man. In the second part of verse 9 to verse 12, and he says, still all the day, or it's translated every day, all the day, he calls out to God. His hands are spread out to God. The next set of questions show the depth of his faith. How can the dead praise you? How can you declare the chesed, the steadfast love of God in the grave? How can you have faithfulness and declare faithfulness, the faithfulness of God in Abaddon? That's a destruction. That's a place where you're dead. In Revelation, Abaddon is the angel of the abyss. And what does this mean? That means the psalmist doesn't want to die because he wants to praise God. He wants to speak of his faithfulness. He wants to declare his righteousness. And how can you do that when you're dead? Verse 13 to 14, but he cries out to God. The intensity of his prayers is constant and daily. The question of why, you know, when you ask why, some people say, why is like, why is this happening to me? Meaning, I want to know the reason why behind the, the circumstances that I'm facing. But I want to offer you another meaning to why you would ask why. It can also be why, meaning asking for favor. When the king is angry with his subject, the subject attempting to gain favor can run to the king, can fall on his knees and ask why the king is angry with him. The fact that you can ask someone why shows your closeness with the king. Why is this happening? Tell me so that maybe it can be turned around. Verse 15 to 18. This individual lament ends with him tying all the major themes together. He has suffered and suffered for a very long time. He doesn't see any way out. He is exhausted to the point of despair. 
It's because the Lord's wrath is upon him. Him acknowledging that the Lord has caused this is acknowledging the sovereignty of God. And lastly, he has nothing. He has no one left except God. His faith in God is the only thing that he can look to. There is no hope other than from what God will give him. There is no deliverance other than from what God can provide. That means if you read this psalm, there is no cheap resolution. There is no easy ending. Cheesy talks won't cut it. Shoddy attempts won't fix it. Only God and only God alone can save. And if it's not faith in God, the psalmist is saying, where else can you turn to? Where else could I possibly turn to? The last and final word in the psalm is darkness. And when you recognize this, you begin to see that all the happy endings, all the other happy endings that we've seen in the other psalms are not something that we're owed. The reason why we see it is because of grace. You know, we live life with these like feelings of entitlements we feel like we're entitled to a happy ending or a peaceful ending. Who says that? We feel like we're entitled to riches and satisfaction. Who says? We feel like we're entitled to fulfillment. Who says? But the psalmist here never loses sight of God and never abandons his faith even though he's on the brink of death and darkness has overcome him. You know, people say that there is actually no hope in this psalm. This psalm is one of those psalms where there's no light. We did a responsive reading on Sunday, and if you've noticed, every Sunday we do a responsive reading to the Saturday psalm that's going to be preached. And I was putting the responsive reading together. Usually there's some kind of resolution. There's some kind of close to the responsive reading that we see in the psalm. And I'll admit I had a little hard time, a little bit of a hard time putting that responsive reading together for Psalm 88 because there's no resolution. There's no part where you go, oh, okay, I'm good. Time to turn the page. There's no page to turn. So perhaps we're to sit on this sometimes and just wait because we're not the ones that turn the page. But when you read the psalm, there is a place of hope because we know the person that wrote this. The person that wrote this is Heman, the Ezraite. If you know Heman the Ezraite, it's shown in the Old Testament and First Chronicles that he was the leader of the sons of Korah. The sons of Korah were also titled in many of the Psalms before. 
We know the people that make up most of the Psalms. David is famous for writing many of the Psalms. Asaph is another one that you may be familiar with. And also the sons of Korah is there. He would write a lot of the Psalms that we know of. He wrote so many of the Psalms that are so notable that we even make contemporary songs about the Psalms. Like Psalm 84, better is one day in your courts. That's from the sons of Korah. Like Psalm 42, as the deer pants for the water, so my soul longs for you. That's from the sons of Korah. And in Psalm 48, great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. In the city of our God, the holy place, that's Psalm 48 from the sons of Korah. And we know that God used Heman the Ezraite to write this psalm to ultimately prophesy about Jesus, the suffering that he would go through for us and for our salvation. By him going through this, we are able to witness and partake in this incredible fruit because this psalm ultimately points to Jesus' suffering and the eternal fruit that Jesus bore for us. That's why this psalm is good. That's why we could pray this psalm. And that's why we could remember this psalm. And this psalm points to Jesus and it magnifies him and glorifies him. And this is why the Apostle Paul can say in Romans, What shall we say then? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It's God who justifies. Who shall condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. There is no cheap resolution. There is no easy ending because Jesus bought it for us. He suffered for us. He died for us and ultimately gave glory to God. For it is God who saw Jesus' death but raised him up from the dead. This is what we long for today as well. Many people say and comment that this Holy Saturday is like the life we live now. We long for our ultimate resurrection after death when Jesus will come again because he is the first fruits of the resurrection. We will come after him. And this then is no psalm that we should just gloss over but this is a psalm that we should be meditating on because there is deep truth in this psalm that no matter how dark it gets, and here's another truth, it will get dark. It will get difficult. But the psalmist's 
prayer is answered in Jesus Christ. That's the resurrection. The psalmist cry to God of my salvation. If God, you don't do it, there is no other hope. There is no other deliverance. And God answers that prayer. And he raises Jesus from the dead. That's the hope that we have when we read this psalm. That's the hope that we have in Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this holy Saturday that we can come to you in prayer. And we do cry out to you. We do pray to you for our lives are not just full of lilies and flowers and daisies, but in fact, we do have hardships. But Lord God, we have hope even in the midst of these hardships because of the hope that you give us in psalms like this. Because this psalm points to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who took on the full wrath of God, who drank the cup of wrath all the way down to the dregs, all the way down till there was nothing left, so that we instead could drink the cup of life. And so we come before you with great trembling, but with also with great gratitude. Lord, we are not worthy to even be here, to hear your word. But Lord, out of your sheer mercy and grace, you've opened up our ears. You've given us a new heart that we might turn and believe and that we might come to salvation. And we give you the glory in Jesus' name. Amen.